The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Production, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Tolano. Uh, good evening and uh, welcome back to Streetwise. Uh, this evening, uh, my guest is probably, uh, I would think, the youngest Secret Service agent, maybe in history. And uh, two things, and she, by the way, may be the youngest female Secret Service agent. She was assigned to Nancy Reagan's uh, protection detail. She's got a great book coming out. It's uh, it's not out yet, but we'll talk about talk about that. It's Agent Innocent. And uh, we'll talk a little about her background, her history, and things like that. Uh, pleasure to welcome to Streetwise, Melanie Lentz. Melanie, welcome to Streetwise. Well, thank you for having me. Okay. Now, was I was I right when I said you're probably the youngest, a youngest agent, or maybe also a youngest female Secret uh, Service? I'm not sure about the youngest agent, but I know I'm one of the youngest females ever hired, for sure. <laughs> okay. You know, who else can say that the he was security or did the... Uh, the protection detail for the first lady of the United States of America. Uh, at, uh, how old were you at the time when you were assigned to? I think it was actually uh, after Ronald Reagan passed away. Is that correct, Melanie? Yes, I I went to her detail in 2015. I was there for the last uh, several months of her life. So yeah, long long after Mr. Reagan died. Mm, okay, so you actually never had the pleasure of meeting uh, President uh, Ronald Reagan. No, I didn't. Uh, I'll tell you, but you had the pleasure of working with uh, the First Lady, who was a highly regarded, respected First Lady. And yes, yes. It, I, um, it was it was brief, but she definitely taught me a lot. Right. You, you know, people, uh, I'm, we're going to open the phones in uh, a little bit, and I might, I might as well give the number out. Uh, it's 561-796-6666. And people, you know, you might get some uh, questions that I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions myself. How did you become a Secret Service agent? I probably know, and uh, I'm going to ask you a a dual question. How did you become one, and why did you want to become a Secret Service agent? Okay. Well, um, like I said, I was hired uh, when I was 22 years old. Um, I uh, was in college, got my uh, undergraduate degree when I was 21 in kinesiology, so exercise science, and like um, many college grads, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, so I decided to go get my master's, um, and while I was getting my master's, um, a family friend was had a daughter who was a Secret Service agent, and my grandpa and this guy would kind of swap stories back and forth about her and all these adventures she was having, and my grandpa's the one that originally put the idea into my head so while I was in grad school my first semester towards the end I was researching you know what did it did I have the meet the minimum criteria to become an agent and Mm. I had to have a college degree and be 21 years old and that was I fit that criteria so I filled out the application thinking I have no military no law enforcement background like they're just gonna laugh me out of the place Uh, but I got a call back for the first step and passed the written exam and then uh, six, seven months later, while I'm in grad school, I get a call uh, from 
uh, one of the bosses in the Los Angeles field office saying, Melanie, would you like a job? You leave in three weeks. Wow. So it was a bit of a whirlwind, but um, I kind—I always wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. You right. know, I came from a family with a lot of military background. You know, grandpas and everybody was uh, a lot of relatives in the military and patriotic family and. I thought that becoming an agent would make me, you know, give me the opportunity to do something meaningful with my life. Plus, I'm a little shy, so, you know, Secret Service agents do a lot of standing around not talking, so I thought that might be a good fit for me. Uh, and it turned out, you know, I had the uh, a little less than a decade of adventures ahead of me, but it was something I definitely uh, had to, I had to figure out how I was going to make it through the training because I didn't have the life experience. I'd never been in a fight or, you know, been in the military. So um, it was something where I thought, well, I can picture myself on this team, but can they picture me on their team and can I earn that spot? And I had to prove a lot of things to myself over between 22 and 23 years old, and I'm, I was grateful for that opportunity. Now, also, you know, uh, in your case, I think a little easy for them because it's one of the uh – Law enforcement organizations that had the most extensive background checks. Now, 22 years old, you weren't born yet. So, how much? How far can, <laughs> yeah, they, no. how, how well, far can was, they go back? You know. <laughs> I was told that my background was fairly easy because yes. I was so young. I'd only, you know, they talked to my college professors, right. my, you know, neighbor, childhood neighbors, things like that. They kind of teased me about it. They were yes. like, you know, you get some of these people that have moved five or six times, and it takes a while, but. Yours was pretty quick. You made it easy for the investigator, I'll tell you that. You I know? said I didn't want to give them a reason not to hire me, right. other than, you know, being young. I was like, oh, I'll be trainable. You can teach me all I need to know. <laughs> you, you know, so, but you never carried the weapon before you uh, became a Secret Service agent. Is that correct? I never carried, well, yeah, I never carried one. I uh, I did a lot of trap shooting with my dad growing oh. up. He was really good at that. So mm -hmm. I would had a healthy respect for firearms. I'd shot handguns with him and stuff like that. I wasn't proficient. You know, it wasn't something I went into training as the top shot. But I had, you know, basic uh, understanding and healthy respect for what they were capable of and knew the basics. You know, uh Again, again, in your case, uh, you know, which we talked about, your book, you, uh, the young lady, I'm going to say young lady because she may be listening to the show, uh, Sue Ann Baker was my guest three years ago. Three years, I tell you, I think it's three years ago to the day, today, I think. Oh, that's do you, awesome. Do you know that? How do you know? No, I knew, that, yeah, I knew her book came out uh, three years ago in, in June or July, so it's yes. about... About right, but I love her. She is awesome. Um, Sue Ann Baker is one of the first five... Uh, female agents the Secret Service ever hired in 1971, and she right. has a nice book out called Behind the Shades, and she's just a, a wonderful person. I've I've had a lot of fun connecting with her and talking with her about our experiences. Well, you probably learned a lot from her because she was one of the first, and she was she was there during a time when it was tough not only to be a Secret Service agent, it was tough to be. She was among the first five female Secret Service agents. And it had to be rough because even in the police department, the city of New York, New York, it was rough for the city cops, the guys. They said, oh, my God, we're getting females on the job, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and to, listen, guys are saying, hey, they give me a female partner. I'm, I'm packing it in. I'm quitting. And I'm going to refuse to work with a female. Uh, tell you what, it worked out great. It really worked out great. And, uh, uh, I was a little sort of a little gun shy with that. See, I don't know how I'm going to work with a female. But... 
I looked at it differently. I'll tell you how I did. I don't want to take orders from a female, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so when they came on, they, you know, they worked their way up through the ranks like anyone else on the job, so to speak. Now, Sue Ann Baker was probably, how do I say this? I think she was on the job before you were born, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Trying to, yeah. add, trying to do I'm the math. 1980s, baby. I was born when Reagan was president. I thought so. You imagine <laughs> that? Do you know, right now in the studio is with me, uh, my first vice president of the uh, New York Veteran Police Association, and we talk about there's a, there's a little common denominator, i got to tell you, between the three of us here, believe it or not. His name is Richard Ornstein. He's going to take it. He's going to take the calling calls soon. Oh, okay. 19, you were two years old because you just told me your age, 80. When you were two years old, Ronald Reagan came to New York, and he needed extra security, and guess what? He called out, not him, him but the staff or people, called the New York Veteran Police Association, and we did the security for Ronald Reagan in 1982 when you were two years old. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? So uh, yep. you got, that, you got, you, uh, you got to put that in your next book. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> yes. You know, and so, and if you, and now uh, our cards that we utilize, like the PBA type card, we uh, pay tribute to him. We have his, uh, for the last several years, or three or four years, I guess now, we use his photo on our card. And everyone loves it. You know, we got really, uh, I don't think we have any negatives on using him as sort of representing the New York Veteran Police on our union cards, our association cards. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, Richie's in the store. He wanted to, uh, he's going to ask you a, a question himself a, a little while after 5 o'clock when I open the phones. Sure. Uh, how did it feel, a young girl, 22 years old, and uh, uh, most people understand as a Secret Service agent, I don't want to be dramatic, but you're supposed to protect the, who you're protecting with your body. People know that. Am I correct right. on that? Pretty much, yes. aside from whatever you're trained to do, but that's one of the things that you you are trained to do. Uh Am I, am I correct on that, uh, Melanie? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, do. But, yeah, it's whatever it takes to whatever stop takes. the threat. If that includes you, uh, your body, then by all means. <laughs> That's correct. That's one of the things. Yeah. We've seen that, actually, pretty much when uh, Ronald Reagan was shot, you know. The, was yeah, young... Tim McCarthy got shot, the agent that was with him. I think he was 28 years old, one of the agents. The one mm-hmm. that got shot, if I'm not mistaken. He was a pretty young fellow himself uh, at the time. But what, what I'm leading to is... How does it feel that you have a you have a job? This is one of the things that you have to do as a 22 year old, and you knew that. What was your mindset on that, uh, Melanie Lentz? You know, I I think I it was less of a question: Am I willing to do it? Because I think mm. I think most Secret Service agents, you kind of know what you're getting into or what you might have to do and what your role is in in the agency. But for me, being 22, I wasn't. You know, as, as we're standing at the academy in our first formation, you know, and you look around the room, there's, you know, the guy in front of me outweighs me by probably 100 pounds, and he's got 10 years of um, Marine Corps experience. And the guy <laughs> behind me has, you know, he was a former homicide detective in some, mm. you know, big city with a lot of crime. And I think, well, I'm willing to do it, but am I capable of doing it? Am I vigilant enough? Am I am I going to recognize the threat quickly enough? Am I am I going to be able to stand there and do the same job as quickly as these guys? And 
for me standing there at 22 years old that that's very sobering because i know i'm not i wasn't as big and strong and as experienced as them but that was motivating for me to be better you know i was crazy about doing my chin-ups and push-ups and shooting and fighting and you know i had to practice handcuffing more than those guys because they had been doing it for you know 100 million years before me um so that kind of thing so i think my mindset going into it was I've got I've got some there's a learning curve here and I've got to play some catch up and I sometimes felt that way for many years I was you know 22 25 you're still practically a baby next to a lot of these guys right. so it, it was a it was a constant and every agent probably needs to have this mindset constantly get better but for me I felt that extra pressure I guess it was in my mind right okay that you know also with in the law enforcement like any other law enforcement position. Uh, there's and you talk about it. I think you talk about it in the upcoming book about the the uh, tough times and the humorous times. And oh yes, and you, you cannot throw a 22 year old girl with no life experience right. with a bunch of overgrown dudes with a lot of experience without <laughs> there being a lot of a lot of comedy. <laughs> oh my God, you you gotta have to be have to be tough. Yeah, well, I I have a funny story. The the poor guy, he's so sweet. But um, when one of our first days at the academy, we have the mat room where we're going to practice our fighting and handcuffing and such, and we're in formation, and it's one of our first days. I think it was our first time in the mat room, and uh, my first time standing in formation ever. You know, it was easy for them, and I'm playing catch-up. And we had an instructor come in and say, you know, I don't know if everybody in this room has gotten hit in the face before punched in the face he said but after today i'm going to know everybody's everybody's experienced that and i'm thinking well they're all looking at me i'm sure i've never been punched in the face you know Mm. so there were three females in my class and the other two females were about the same height about the same size and i'm five nine so i was a little bit taller than them so they partnered me with one of the other guys in the class who was this really really nice guy and uh they told him, told us to take a swing at each other, and I'd never, never <laughs> hit anybody like that in my life. Well, I'm standing there, and he took a swing at me, and let me tell you, it rang my bell. Right. And I, you know, my ponytail flies back, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, my gosh, like a grown man just punched me in the face. You know, um, we had our, we had gloves on and stuff. I won't get too dramatic here, but you know, it was a first time thing. You know, very uh, reality, you know, reality check. And right. afterwards, he comes running up to me. And he says, Melanie, I am so sorry. He said, I've never hit a woman in my entire life, and mm. I had to make it count the first time because there was no way I could do that again. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. So, but that's a good learning thing. You know, you, oh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I mentioned a moment a moment ago about how tough and the clearance and the investigative background. Uh, did you have to go to, a, I would say, a tough uh, psychological also as well? So to determine if you could, say, withstand a punch, you know, or what would what would your reaction be if God forbid something? Because in your case, in a lot of cases, and cops out in the street, things happen in a second. You know, how are you going to react to a shooting in a second? In your case, you know that's always on your mind because you have to physically, mentally right. protect protect the, that person. So, uh, you know, so uh, what's your what's your feeling on that? You know. In other words, well, the psych that you had to take was it was it with, uh, was it kind of rough? In other words, you had to evaluate you to see, hey, this girl might not be able to handle it. Right. Well, 
the application process um, for the Secret Service did not have a psychological um, evaluation going Mm. into it. But, I mean, as I'm I'm sure you and many of your law enforcement listeners know, the the Academy has a lot of uh, psychological elements to it (laughs) to test you. Um, And that first time when um, I got, you know, hit the first time in the mat room, Mm. they they said, well, you didn't cower. You've tried to fight back. You just didn't know what the heck you were doing. But, um, but yeah, it's on your mind. You know, I, I... Maybe it's a slight paranoia or something, but I used to run scenarios in my head as you're, like, going to the grocery store or stuff. Like, if I was with Nancy Reagan or or whoever you were protecting, a foreign dignitary, you know, and say somebody came at me from this angle, what would I do? You're kind of constantly running these little scenarios through your head to try to say, okay, well, this is how I would react and and, or how I think I would react in a crisis situation and... And that sort of thing. It was just, like I said, I was so young that it was just constantly trying to get better. You know, like, what would I do? Some of these guys have been in real-life situations that I've never been in. So, you know, constantly just trying to get better and sharpen Mm. your mind as you go through your workday. Melanie Lentz, besides uh, taking a shot in the face, did you have to prove yourself in in different ways as well? Oh, all the time. Um, especially, Especially at the academy, just being so young and you have... You know, as you know, law enforcement academies have a lot of senior officers or agents um, running things. So there was a bit of a, um, I don't know, it depended. I think uh, as the years went by, I just tried to give people no reason to question my competency. Mm. You know, worked really, really hard and developed a good reputation, I think, um, over the years. But there was once in a while you'd get somebody that would come in that would maybe kind of minimize your experience or, you know, you go on, um, like you help out with a search warrant or something like that right. with another agency or on a task force or something. Mm. And, you know, you get put on outer perimeter or something while the big guys are in the stack or, or in stuff like that. So sometimes you say, well, I, I'd like to have the experience too. So once in a while you'd feel a little bit kind of dismissed. But for the most part, I think I, I just said, well, I'm just going to work that much harder and not give them a reason to. Right. Let's talk about some of the things now. Can we talk about some of the people that you were assigned to, aside from uh, Nancy Reagan and her later years when you first come on? Anybody that stands out that we would sure. know? Yeah, that you, that um, you can yeah, talk about. Well, um, yeah, well, as, as a field agent in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. we worked, you know, if, uh, you know, President Obama was president while I was, most of the time I was an agent. So right. uh, if he came to Los Angeles, we would work his visits or travel around the country. We went to Las Vegas a lot because it was within driving distance. Mm. So, you know, we did that, but California, probably like New York as well, gets a lot of foreign heads of state that come in mm. um, for the tourism. You know, you'd have, uh, you know, prime minister of some other country come in to go to Disneyland, that sort of thing. Um, I remember one memorable thing which stands out to me as a female because, you know, while there were some things that I could do as a female that um, a lot of the guys couldn't. You know, they have the cop haircuts and the bulging biceps, and they just look law enforcement. But for me, um, I was able to kind of use my youth and uh, uh, youthful appearance right. as a female as uh, when mm. Jill Biden came into town one time for a couple events, speaking engagements. And she said, I really want to go for a jog on the beach, mm. but I just want it to be low-key. I don't want the, you know, cars, and I don't need 27,000, you know, people running around me. Like, is there any way to, to make this work with just kind of be being a little low-key? And guess who they called? <laughs> me. Uh, so you know, i got to tell you, that- Joe, Joe Biden probably uh, did that. 
Just want you to know that. Yeah, probably. He probably is for you. I got to tell you that. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But it was nice to be able to offer, you know, somebody who, you know, Jill Biden didn't have the luxury of just going to the grocery store by herself. Oh. So it was nice. You know, I felt, I felt uh, positive that I was able to provide that kind of experience for her, even if it was just, you know, we didn't talk. We, I just ran with her. She had her right. earbuds in and just had a quiet little run on the mm. beach. and while the guys kind of shadowed, you know, next to us. But, you know, she was able, nobody recognized her, but that was something a lot of other agents couldn't couldn't do, and that was that was a memorable one for me. Like, hey, I have something that I can offer as a youthful person, I guess. So you do, so what you're saying, the two years did not stand out because you looked youthful. Nobody would say, nah, she's not a cop. She's not a, a Yeah, nobody agent. would say, well, who's, that, who's yeah. that security running with? Who's that person with security running with them? You right, know, that kind yeah. Of thing. So, uh, so that was one of the issues that you had because you look so young and nobody would, would take you, which is good, uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases in law enforcement, that nobody would believe you're a police officer, and that's beneficial in a lot of different areas in law enforcement. Right. Yeah, sometimes because as Secret Service agents, we don't wear the uniform, you know, where it's obvious, hey, police Correct. officer, I've got the gear belt and I've got the, the hat or the, the uniform. Uh, so sometimes... Um, Especially like on search warrants, if you're doing search warrants and stuff, sometimes they, you know, people are like you, you know, you're, you look like you're 18 years old, <laughs> close enough. But um, so yeah, sometimes it, there was a little, a little fearful, um, but it also helped me blend in in surveillance too. Um, right. Which was kind of fun. I had I had a few fun experiences with that where I stood out. Or well, I did not stand out, right. but uh, to the the bad guys. But I stood out to other people as <laughs> maybe I didn't belong there. Um, like for instance, I. Uh, helped out with a uh, surveillance in Las Vegas. It was a counterfeit case that made its way around Los Angeles and Southern California and into Vegas. And we ended up in one of the casinos watching somebody walk around there trying to pass counterfeit. And mm. uh, the casino security kept stopping me, asking me for ID because right. they didn't look old enough to be there. So <laughs> I got teased a lot by the guys like, you know, little girl, you need to go get a wristband before you can come come back to work. You yeah, know, and, yeah like where'd, you get, where'd you get this forged ID from, too, you know, you're showing? Yeah, no, no, I didn't. Uh, it was just, my, it was just my regular driver's is, license. Oh, they didn't okay. know I was in law enforcement there. Oh. Yeah, we were just, it was just low key. It just happened to wind up in that area. It wasn't a planned spot. It was mm. just where the guys went. But it was just kind of funny that, uh, you know, the, the police walking around the casino didn't even believe I was supposed to be there. You, you know, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of. Uh, I, I think I, I don't want to steal. Uh, my partner's uh, with me today. He's going to answer your question, Richard Ornstein. I don't want to steal his question, but I, I have to think. <laughs> no, it has to lead uh, with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Secret Service, and you mentioned just a couple of seconds ago, I think they started because of counterfeit uh, money in the, in, the, in the country. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah so. that's, um, that's how it started. Um, that's what I thought. Yeah. Right, yeah, because there were, it was estimated that 30% of the currency at the time was uh, counterfeit. Right. And that's how we started um, with a, an investigative element, mm. and it wasn't until later um, that we took on uh, protectees and eventually uh, candidates, you know, presidential candidates, et cetera. So, yeah, Secret Service has an interesting history, but, right. yeah, it did start as a, um, uh, investigating counterfeit currency. Yeah, I'm working for the government. They need uh, a uh, specialized agency, and he says, well, Secret Service, they're, they're pretty swift at this. And, uh, and hey, listen, if you could be trusted investigating a lot of money, you know, then you're good for the job, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got, I got to end that question there back there, talking about the law enforcement throughout the country and dealing with, uh, with money. Now, the other thing is that, uh, 
Uh, you're not see another thing that people are probably locked in. I'm glad we're talking about this, the uh, investigative secret service uh, counterfeit money. I mean, is that talk about some of the other assignments that you get aside from bodyguarding the dignitary? You know, other things that you do that secret service uh, does. Well, yeah, I well, I'll tell you how I start. My career started in, you know, like I said, the Los Angeles field office where you work for a few years as a field agent before you go to a permanent protection detail like a, a president mm. or vice president. So I started in the fraud bank fraud squad. Wow. So we worked um, like check fraud cases and things like that, kind of learning financial crime cases, usually pretty boring for the most part, but a good learning squad to learn basic interview techniques if you're not experienced. Um, after that, I went to um, an electronic crimes task force, which mm. was with, um, we had some FBI there, we had some, you know, LAPD, those kind of, the, a lot of the local agencies. And so we worked some cases that were outside our protective and, you know, investigative scope. Um, most of the cases I worked there were child pornography cases of all things, right. which was very difficult. Um, so I was there for a couple years, and then after that, I went to the Protective Intelligence Squad, oh. which is a squad where we investigate the threats against our protectees or visiting heads of state. Um, and that's a very interesting and scary squad to work, but, you know, it's not just the physical protection, it's the uh, proactive uh, protection when, mm. uh, you know, somebody makes a threat online or sends a letter to the White House or shows up at the gate and that sort of thing. So that's... um. That's a huge part of the protection wow. aspect is trying to find the threats before they actually become something viable. You have, um, to, track, then, you have to track them down? In other words, you... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, I had um, I had several, a lot of them with the era, age of social media. It's uh, the threats. It's, there's a lot of tough Internet talkers out there that say the magic words like bomb the White House and stuff like that. Yeah. So most of our cases were kind of you know, garbage because it was, the person didn't have an intention of acting it out. They were emotional on the internet, but they still had to be investigated. Absolutely. It's not like I had the luxury of, oh, they probably didn't mean it. Mm. Um, and then you have some funny ones. I had, not not funny, but uh, there was a, like a high school kid had a guest speaker at his class that worked for the government, I forget what agency, and said that if you you posted a threat against the president or the White House on the Internet that the Secret Service would come and arrest you. Mm. Well, this idiot kid decided to test it out, mm. and uh, with his eyeballs about popped out of his skull when he saw us show up at the high school. Mm. Um, you know, so that, those kind of things, those are, um, I did that also for a couple years, and that was an interesting squad. And then there's um, the part of protection a lot of people don't think about so much is it's less about just arriving with the motorcade with your aviators and your suit. Um, there's the advance work and there's right. logistics and operations and, uh, you know, people leapfrogging ahead like a campaign year. You wow. know, you're going to kind of trail a candidate around the country and prepare the sites and develop a security plan and motorcade routes. That was my favorite part of the job was the advance work. I loved doing motorcade routes and site security plans and things like that. Wow, so you're very busy, and in the a large field office like Los Angeles or New York City, you have um, you get to do uh, so much, and there's never really a shortage of advance work. You always have a dignitary in town, or um, you know somebody coming to visit. So you definitely, uh, I definitely got a lot of experience by starting in a large office, which I, oh, wow. I was you know grateful for. Uh, my guess is Melanie Lentz, former Secret Service female, Secret Service agent at 23 years old. 
The uh, call-in number is 561-797-6666. If you have a question or you want to make a statement, uh, you know, uh, whatever. But uh, anyway, so... uh, it's interesting because I have to tell you this. I was fortunate enough to do the advance of Rudy Giuliani when he was oh, okay. well, here in New York. So not as, uh, yeah, how can I say, I mean, not as like yours was pretty more in-depth. Mine was like, because we're just pretty much in, just in, in the city usually. And not, I, I would think not as hard as, you know, the job you had doing the advance for, you know, for a dignitary. I would think that that's uh, be kind of a rough so uh, we might as well keep going until until somebody calls in seven nine six. Uh sorry, five six one seven nine six 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 six. I think we have a question. Richie's in the studio. Richie Ornstein, by the way, I'm gonna give you some background on Richard Ornstein. Okay. Richie Hi, Richie's Richie. <laughs> Hi Melanie. Richie's the former Hi. New York City police officer. He worked in uh several different units and uh so he's going to talk to you about things that... Uh, oh, go ahead, Richie. Ask uh, Melanie Lentz uh, whatever you want to ask her. Uh, first, I'd like to know, where did you grow up, Melanie? What part of the uh, country? I, um, I grew up in Southern California in uh, what's called the High Desert. And if you've ever driven from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, it's in the middle of that patch of desert you probably passed oh. going 85 and skipped the gas station and kept on going. <laughs> I see. We do have something in common. When you okay. had a show identification and uh, if you were protecting somebody, you looked too young. Not that I look young, but when I used to work in a parade, people thought that I was wearing a costume, and they thought oh, that no. I wasn't even part of the parade. Said, nice costume. <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm a cop. No, no, I know, I know, I'm a king, and, and, and that one there is God. I said, yeah, we know you're a cop. Nice uniform, a, a nice outfit, but... <laughs> Uh, because yeah. I didn't look like a cop, uh, still don't. Anyway, Melanie, yeah. I, I'd like to ask you, which I'm some I'm sure some <laughs> people would know the answer, but I'd like to know the difference between the FBI and the Secret Service, and what they do. Is there anything that's sort of similar? And how did they get the name Secret Service? Why Secret Service? Why not National Service or something like that? If you have an idea what the the reason is, you know, I have no idea. Why? Why it's a secret service? I don't. I don't know. I know why because it's. <laughs> but a, I, I should know this, and I don't no, know that answer. Because it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was because it was a secret. I don't. I can't tell you. Well, I think. I think. I can't Lou, tell you. Lou <laughs> answered that. Uh, okay, but what would be the difference? Because people say, "Oh, that person with the FBI and uh, your secret service," and then you had the song "Secret Service Man," and in your case, they'd probably make a new record, "Secret Service Woman." Uh, what is the difference between the Secret Service and the FBI, or is it just the protection you mean of the, the jobs, president? The yes, the, the job, jobs, the job style. Yeah, there's some, uh, there is some overlap in some of the investigative parts, but yeah, definitely the protection element is the the main difference. Mm. Um, I would say. Yes. Um, I'm not an expert on all of the stuff that the FBI does. I know that um, I know that like the the policy is if we had a. Uh, you know, like an assassination attempt, that sort of thing, that the FBI would uh, would come in and investigate the scene for sure. Oh. You know, that sort of thing. We have you know, kind of overlapping duties in some aspects, but yeah, it's a uh, you know, Secret Service mm-hmm. is more more of a protective agency in that regard. So that's a, a big difference. Right, but today, when you hear about some of these celebrities make statements against the president, yeah, regardless right. of what it is. Uh, if it was somebody other than 
a celebrity, a major celebrity's name that would make comments sort of like that, would you or the Secret Service get involved saying they'd like to do something to the White House or uh, do something foolish to the president? Madonna said she'd like to blow up the White House. Rich. Yeah, something like I, that. I saw that. Yeah. If, if that was a civilian that said that or someone unknown, what would be the reaction of the Secret Service in the, in the situation similar to that? Oh, they would definitely go uh, investigate it. Any any threat, and they kind of say they pride themselves on every, every threat is investigated. Yeah. You don't have the luxury as a protective agency of determining somebody's motives based off of a, a, a tweet or a yeah. Facebook post or a letter that you, you know, mail to the White House. Everything is in, investigated, and, and thankfully a lot of them, like I said, are, are bogus, you know, uh, like there was, I know that was the Madonna one is a kind of a recent one, recent, yeah. but um, but yeah, they're all investigated. There were, I I would say, when I was in the protective intelligence squad, most of my cases originated in a social media post that was yeah. a tough internet talker. Right, but that that's that's pretty much social media with uh, Bob De Niro and a whole bunch yeah. of others threatening the president or threatening government, and recently, uh, uh, Maxine. Uh, she, oh yeah, Maxine uh, polluted waters. You know, she uh, made a bunch of threats. She sort of, I would, in my case, I would think as, a, uh, besides my management career in law enforcement as a, a detective, I, mean, I, I see inciting a riot there. You know, or attempt to incite a riot. You know, from where I'm, I'm sitting, and right. uh, Richard was saying, and, and the, a lot of these movie stars and politicians like her sort of have a free pass to actually threaten. They're threatening, threatening government. You know, yeah, it's like it's, yeah, it, it's it's actually uh, uh, inciting uh, you know to uh, aggravate uh, you know uh, against the government. That that was always a charge. If you were one on an airport on an airplane, you know, like uh, Madonna did, and, but just as soon as you walked on, you know, and uh, he would say, "I'm going to blow up the White House," you would be instantly grabbed. By, oh uh, yeah, for yeah, but sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not now? And, uh, Richie brought up a great right. question. How in the I think. How are they able, if you know, uh, how are they able to get away with that? And he wouldn't, if he did that on an airplane or on an airport, he wouldn't get away with it. Right. Yeah. But you're I, doing I, it I, on I, social media, which that in itself is a felony because you're doing it through social media. Right. So. Um, but, yeah, I don't, ha I don't have the answer I how know. they're reacting to it in, on a Secret Service level because you know, I'm obviously not there anymore, but... I know that from from a law enforcement standpoint, you know, it kind of makes you bristle when you hear that right. because how how are people going to interpret those statements? And um, you know, I think sometimes people forget how powerful their voices are. You got, you got a congresswoman how, saying, if you see anybody in the White House going to a restaurant or going to a place, you stop them, you grab them, you uh, uh, you know, you confront them. That's yeah. pretty dangerous, you know, because you know you've been in the business. There are a lot of borderline, I'm going to say, borderline head cases out there, and you just don't need too much to uh, to trigger them off, you know. No pun, yeah. but, you know. Yeah. And that's a, that's a concern. Choose your words wisely. Yeah. yeah well, it seems like uh, you know, they feel, for some reason, with the president administration, you can seems like you can get away more in regard to. Uh, Threats. Let me, let me uh, put it that way. So, but now, in your in your upcoming book, mm -hmm. right? Your upcoming book. Does the title itself? Does that? Does that? What does that mean? Uh, you know, the title of of uh, your book. Right. Well, um, 
the book should hopefully will be out next year sometime. But the title is Agent Innocent, um, and is just kind of a, a me being so young yes. and, and a play, play on words there a bit. But um, the book itself is it's not just a compilation of the fun story, funny stories. Um, mm. You know, my, I my hope is that. People will, you know, you'll read my book or hear me talk about my story, and right. it will prompt you not to say, "Oh, she's a great role model," or "I want my my daughter to be like her." I don't want that. I want you to to want to take a good look at your life and where you're headed. Because um, I haven't really talked about kind of my story, but I uh, I had an interesting, you know, starting so young without the life and experience, I began to head down a road I didn't want to go down as a person, right. and that's I'm mm-hmm. sure. Many in law enforcement can relate. Maybe you can relate to some extent. You, I, uh, I married the guy I met in college. We um, got you know, seemed to have things together. He was also a police officer, and we developed these habits. And I, I won't speak for him, but for me, I developed these habits, especially when I'm working child pornography cases or right. I'm working protective intelligence cases. You get very, very good at the art of suppressing what what those things bring out in you or what you're feeling Mm -hmm. and you kind of minimize your own problems at home and diffuse your problems at home indefinitely you have this switch you turn on i suck it up i do my job i go home and i continue to do so because it's easy to do that and unfortunately that lifestyle is very sustainable for a long time Mm. but um kind of like when you when you don't maintain your car, it, when it's brand new, you know, your brand new agent, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right. ready to learn, and you don't maintain your car, eventually it's going to gunk up and seize up, and you're going to wonder what the heck happened. And that's kind of how my uh, career went down. I loved my job, and right. um, I took the assignment on Nancy Reagan's detail in 2015. Um, like I said, my my husband at the time was a, was a police officer locally, so it was my way to fulfill my protection duties with the agency and not have to move so he would have to get another job. It was best for us at the time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. right after I got assigned there, you know, stuff started happening with a marriage that just brought out that it was in trouble for a long time. And um, I was very depressed about it um, and didn't handle handle it well i'll just be honest i didn't handle it well i was very depressed and people in law enforcement you know we don't talk about being depressed we talk about you know we swap war stories and stuff like that so uh my my career um you know was kind of in in a place where i was going to protect nancy reagan and then shortly after the divorce uh she passed away Mm. and I uh, I had only been there eight months, and so I you know I was like, where are they going to send me? What am I going to do? And the um, when we went to the funeral home after she passed away, I had no idea when I went to bed the night before she passed away that I was going to get a call the next morning telling me to go to a funeral home to meet right. the hearse. And um, I I was the agent that was in the embalming room for most of the time, which uh, an event in and of itself can be life changing. Um, you know, makes you think about where your life's going and that sort of thing. And the more I got to know this woman I'd been protecting that I didn't really know personally after she passed away, it prompted me to start learn, looking at my own life. And um, I was, you know, very depressed. And a few months before then, I had called the Secret Service, like, employee assistance program they have, basically right. kind of like their helpline and, you know, the Secret Service has, you know, come under fire for some of their stuff. You know, they've had their own set of scandals recently, but 
what they something they did very very right was to hire the people at the employee assistance program and many law enforcement agencies have a program similar to this correct and yeah. admitting like hey i'm not okay you know i've i'm i'm gunked up and i'm seized up and i i need to talk to somebody and i thought that was my weakest moment as a human being that here i am with almost 10 years of Secret Service experience, I have a good reputation, I work hard, I seem to have it all together, and here I am. And you were vulnerable. You were vulnerable. Vulnerable. And, yeah. But I know now that that was probably one of my strongest moments as a person to date or as a woman to date. And I wish I would have had enough self-awareness going, you know, prior to that to, you know, ask myself those tough questions. Like, am I going in a direction I want to go? Because I wasn't. Um so, you know, that's kind of how my story went. And then as, after Miss uh, Mrs. Reagan died, I uh, got transfer orders to Washington, D.C. to finish up my um, protection assignment. You know, I, mm. we have to fulfill our, you know, protection detail part of our career, and I was going to be sent to D.C. to finish mine. And um, I was really, really struggling with it because the divorce was still ongoing. I was a mess. I mean, depressed. I was talking, you know, going to therapy, that sort of thing. Um, and it was one of those things that where I, a week or uh, about 10 days before I was supposed to transfer, I I just knew it, I, it wasn't the right move for me. I have, and, to, ask, I have to ask you this. As a young, huh? I have to ask you this question. Though, which, you know, nobody's calling in. They probably, I'll tell you why. What happens, I'm getting a lot of uh, text messages because it's an interesting conversation with you. So they don't want to disrupt it. But I'm going to disrupt it uh, okay. because you're, you're a young, you're, you were with Nancy Reagan People would say, well, what the heck is she doing in the embalming room, you know, while they're doing that? They have to understand, you still have to guard her till the very end, till they put her in the ground, because she's still, uh, I guess, government property, and anybody could do anything to her, even though she's dead, correct? So you have, right, to, you yes, have to protect when, her um, to the end, her body parts, whatever it is, even want to mutilate her, anything. She has to be protected until she's, you know, until she's you People, so, yeah, she's late, and people have to understand that. Well, she, because someone said that, and I was talking about, well, why is Because they don't understand the business. The only thing I want to touch on is something you said before. And in law enforcement, and, you know, they, one of the things they tell you, do not bring the job home. You know? Exactly. And, and I, you know, and so that was one of, the, one of the things that you had issues with, you know. And in both these being cops, so to speak, you know. That could right, be, and I you think know? I might have... And maybe maybe you've done this in your career. Maybe uh, your listeners who are in law enforcement have done mm-hmm. this. You may almost misinterpret what that means. Don't bring your work home. It doesn't mean, you know. Maybe it means like, hey, you had a bad day at work. Don't don't bring home don't bring home that negativity or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But I interpret it as don't bring it home. So therefore, you suppress it and you don't deal with it. Or especially, I I got married while I was working child pornography cases. Right. And so you, you know, when, and the marriage started off rough from the beginning, but I was so quick to minimize my own problems. Like, hey, you know, at least, you know, you play the at least game. At least, you know, um, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not married to a pedophile or something, or at least this, at least that. And you minimize your own problems. But not bringing work home is, you know, don't bring work home, but you also have to deal with work. You know, you're in, you have a tough job, law enforcement. My, you know, local law enforcement, federal law enforcement. You have a tough job, and sometimes you have to deal with stuff. But sometimes it's like uh, pride comes before the fall, so you well, you, you don't mean, admit that something really bothers you or that. Right. Um, so you know, you know I, like, I talk yeah. about some of my background, 
you know, and mm-hmm. usually I try not yeah. to because you're the guest, is that one of the things people want to take, well, because, you know, I want to be an chief and executive and all this stuff, but I was a New York City sanitation man in the city of New York. I was a garbage man in plain English. I was a youngster trying to work my way up in civil service, which thank God I did. But when people would say, well, what's the difference between that and law enforcement? And, and I say, well, when I was a sanitation man, I had a dirty, I had dirty hands, had a dirty, and I've gotten law enforcement. I had, my hands were, were clean, but I had a dirty mind, you know. And yeah, because, I mean, that's yeah, well said. You know, you know, so child pornography, you know, especially as a female, it's 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 tougher to handle than a. It should be by nature of being a male and a female. It should be tougher for you as a young female to handle that. In the guy's case, Richie and I will say, that's easy. We'll just kill the son of a bitch, you know? Right. <laughs> so uh, that's the difference. So you have to su- suppress it yeah. like you were talking about. So, uh, yeah, all right. So that was so that's kind of rough for you. Now, is, uh, what we're talking about now, is that, in, is that in your upcoming book, Melanie? Yes, it is. It's... Um I talk about all of that kind of the the work, my work or my career as it parallels my personal life, and you know when I made the the decision to to leave, um, the uh, I guess I'll just you know when I when I showed up at the Los Angeles field office after I said I was leaving, you know my last day, you got to show up, turn in all your gear. I uh, met up with my boss and gave him all my stuff. We did our inventory, and he said something to me that that stuck out to me because he said all he said was good luck to you Mm. you know after 10 years good luck to you that was it you know it's nothing against him it was just you know i know good luck to you and i remember thinking like oh my gosh like after all that that's that so well it didn't end there so i left and i walked to the elevator landing you know and for the first time in nine years i don't have a government blackberry that's buzzing in my pocket i don't have my gun and my badge on my mm. hip i don't have my you know radio in my purse and my credentials mm. for the first time and i'm standing in this elevator landing you know wondering what in the heck am i doing and this guy walks into the elevator landing i didn't know him a newer agent he had his gun and his badge i just hadn't met him yet and he said oh hey how's it going um are you a new agent i haven't met you yet <laughs> and it hit me like a ton of bricks i've already been replaced like my already forgotten you know and that might seem dramatic but the point was is my identity was in that job it was everything about my life and suddenly Mm. in one few moments it wasn't and that was a very sobering reality and um so the book agent innocent is kind of uh rounds out as me taking Mm. this journey journey of healing i was severely depressed especially after i quit the job now i feel like i have my life not has no meaning i'm divorced you know workaholic depressed you know Mm -hmm. angry resentful etc etc and me kind of finding out what kind of woman i want to be and it was a great time to do that because it was in 2016 when you know we have the first you know female hillary clinton was running for president we have uh, you know, Time's Up, Me Too, a lot of those women's empowerment movement right. stuff happening, that it was a great time for me to evaluate, okay, I have been working in this male-dominated workforce mm. for the last, you know, nine-plus years, and I have no idea who I am anymore. I, I was mm. a Secret Service agent. It was everything interesting about me for so long, and now it's not. And I had to, 
you can either choose to dwell on the past and lament it and think that, you know, feel sorry for yourself or you can choose to learn. And so Agent Innocent is about me saying I went into that job very innocent, but that by definition means lacking corruption or purity, something mm -hmm. to that effect. But in reality, I didn't have to be corrupted by the past. I didn't have to be jaded. I didn't have to let all of that all of the negativity of divorce and some of the tougher cases I had to work or the circumstances, um, you know, Mrs. Reagan dying and getting transfer orders, that sort of thing. I, I, I didn't have to be corrupted, for lack of a better word, by it all, but I could still, I could still lack that corruption as I started over in my 30s. It wasn't over for me yet. My story wasn't over. And I still had a meaningful purpose for my life, and that's uh, that's kind of what where the book goes. Is my hope is that if you read it or you hear me tell my story, that you will you won't just say, "Oh, that was an interesting story." Well, you know, Melanie Lance, you, you're just in part two. That's all. You're, you're, you're in yeah. part two of your life now. Richie Ornstein wants to ask you a question yeah. again. Michelle, Hi. we had a phone call before. Melanie, uh, Melanie I'm that's sorry. Okay. My humblest apologies, no, Mickey, Melanie. Right. I call you Michelle. I'm thinking about the song. Thinking about Michelle. Your other girls. <laughs> other girls. You uh, Melanie, I just wanted to, uh, somebody wanted to know, did you have anybody favorite that you were handling, that you were protecting? Because someone once came out and said that the Reagans were one of the nicest first families that they ever dealt with as compared to other first families, and the Bushes were very nice. Uh, did you have any special people that you enjoyed working with at the time? Uh, well, I, I did enjoy working with the Bushes, but they were always so timely. You know, they always stuck to the schedule and were, were kind. So, yeah, everybody appreciates uh, the timeliness. You know, you're not going to work a bunch of uh, overtime at the last second because, you know, somebody decides to do something off the record. But they were always very nice. Um, I never really had, you know, negative experiences with um, protectees, but the most fun I think I had on the job was coming to New York City every September for the, <laughs> the UN General Assembly, right. where it's just madness and chaos. And um, I had a couple uh, foreign dignitaries I was assigned to that had just wonderful staff that um, were really, really fun to work with and knew the drill and, and that sort of thing. So I, I had I always had fun in, in New York City. A lot of people dread it because they know you, it's, a, it's a bit of a madhouse out there mm. in September, but I, I had a lot of fun doing that. Now, when you did advanced work, did you work with the local police? Are there certain things that you had to do beforehand, God forbid, an emergency that they had to know what hospital to go to, whatever the situation was? Oh, yes, and... Um, if you were, you had um, uh, NYPD, I had them as part of my motorcades when I did the the head lead advances for a foreign mm -hmm. dignitary. So it worked definitely worked with um, a lot of local law enforcement and you know running routes to the hospitals and relocation points and safe houses that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it definitely worked with law, local law enforcement a lot. Mm. Yeah, well, it sounded like you had an interesting job, and I could see as Lou Talano said, you'll have book two soon. And that would be fantastic because not every time you could always see a cop. You come to New York, as you well know, and everybody has a story. There's no doubt about it. But very, right. very, very few people meet a Secret Service person. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I got, I got to talk a little bit about myself. And I had to, aside from work with Secret Service, ATF, and all these different uh, groups in my career, Customs Immigration, I uh, had a personal uh, involvement with them. And I'm going to mention the year. I think it's 19, 1988 when, and again, there's a little connection here with uh, 
Michael Dukakis was running against Ronald Reagan in 1988. Do you, I, don't, I don't know if you recall that, Melody, but you know about it, correct? I was four. Yeah. I know, but you know about it, of <laughs> yes. course, because you're yes. in the business. You were four. I know. So you weren't. So you were not at my house. Now, no. What was, but, but I can tell you who was at my house that year was Michael Dukakis running against my favorite guy, Ronald Reagan, and Mario Cuomo, the governor at the time, close friend of mine, and JFK Jr., in my home. Oh, wow. All three were in my home. And because they were Michael Dukakis, uh, you, you know, they said he was too soft on crime, too soft on uh, people like that. And uh, so they wanted to show the, that he was getting support from a high profile law enforcement person. And that, I guess that I'm bragging about myself. So that was me. That was so they did it in my home out in Long Island. And it's, it's not, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's public information. So I'm not talking out of school. Right. But the thing is, Secret Service came there the night before to my home, and they set up a tent in the yard. One guy slept on the couch. Two guys slept, really? in, two guys slept in a tent in my backyard. <laughs> you, you know, wow. and, but, uh, you know, and here I am. I was, uh, at that time, I was the chief of the Seagate Police Department. I had my guys. I had my Seagate cops there. Nassau Police Department was there. And for whatever reason, the city sends that joint task force out there. But I can tell you, they were the greatest people. The, to deal with the Secret Service, you know. Oh, good. There were, there were such ladies and gentlemen, because there were ladies there too, you know, and I was never more impressed because, uh, you know, how they were trained. They were just professionals, you know, were just like, uh, you know, anyway, so uh, I, what I'm doing in a, in a roundabout way, I'm bragging about myself and complimenting where you came from, you know. <laughs> well, so, thank you. But anyway, but imagine that. They came from my support at that time. And I was supporting Ronald Reagan. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, so wow. <laughs> I know. But I took a beating on that with, with a lot of law enforcement people. How could you let this dirtbag and, you know, this liberal, yeah. this liberal is guy in your home, you know? But who can say they had JFK Jr. in their home, truthfully? Oh, you know? That, yeah. Um, you know, so, but again, as they say, that's another, that's another, Another story. Where are you going from now? I think that was Richie was saying too, part two. Uh, yes. Where, where are you heading? Where are you heading right. now in life? You know. So. Well, I, I think for, uh, I'm very open to the possibilities uh, out there, casting a wide net. But um, I took a, when I when I left, I ended up simplifying my life greatly. Sold my house, sold my car, sold mm. you know, downsized, and took some time to you know, write the book and start doing that stuff. Um, I went back and got my certifications from my that degree I paid a lot of money for. Um, so I got my strength and conditioning coach certification again. So oh. kind of just cast a wide net, took some time off, and I hope what's next is that this um, this book will allow me to, you know, help other people and, um, you know, mo- encourage others who maybe are in my situation or in a similar situation right. in life. Um, so I hope that that's next. Like I said, I, I always wanted to live a, a meaningful life, and, you know, I I didn't have to be a Secret Service agent to find that meaning. So oh, no, I'm, great, I'm on no. the journey like everybody else. <laughs> no, I got to tell you, it was a great – I look – you, you would, if you didn't, you had to do it over again. You would do it. That I know. Oh, you know? of course. Uh, absolutely. So you just like we talked about, you in part two of your life. Now, are you going? Are you lecturing anywhere, Melanie Lentz? Uh, 
you know, are you open to that? You know, oh, you, uh, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Can, um, okay, I where have, can people uh, contact you? I don't want to run out of time without giving contact yeah, no, information. Yeah, no, um, I have my website, melanielentz.com, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-L-E-N-T-Z.com, and um, I have a contact, all my contact info is there. You can sign up for the newsletter to get in updates about the book and all of the, like, a, a keynote speaking or, or media stuff. There's all, all of that stuff is on melanielentz.com, so take a look. I'd love to, I'd love to do speaking. Oh, good. melanielentz.com. You hear that, folks? Rich, one more question. Before yeah, uh, Melanie, we know in uh, New York we have approximately 35,000 cops. How many people would you say are in the Secret Service? Uh, you ballpark, know, I don't know the exact numbers now, but I believe it's in the ballpark of about 3,000 agents now. Wow. And I'm not sure um, if that includes, like, our uniform division as yeah. well, but it's, that's a ballpark number. Very small. It's like it's like a high school, then uh, a small high school spread out across the country, so that's how, that's how the rumors fly. Well, that's why <laughs> I'm just kidding. you're one of the chosen. That's all I could say. <laughs> right. There's a Marine. I'm trying to think of the Marine. I forget now. A few are called, a few are chosen. I think that's right. I'm close to it. Yeah, that's pretty much like the Secret Service. You know, yeah. and, and, and uh, Rich, I'm not saying anybody could be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> the difference between thirty-five thousand and three thousand. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> the numbers I change know, quite a bit. You know, she's she's like in, in other words, she's actually in sort of a, a select group. Well, if she right? was to be in the police department, she'd yeah, probably be the ch- commander. She's in the <laughs> my oh, boss. No. Oh my God. Okay, Melly, uh, time is time is gone. I just uh, you know. Oh, it so, went by. It went by so fast. Yeah, it does. Uh, let's give out. You give out your contact information again that people want to, you know, contact you. Well, yeah, uh, melanielentz.com, and um, I'm on you know social media a little bit. Um, you know, my handle is at melanielentz. If you want to look me up there. Um, but thank you very much for having oh, me. It was, great. It was awesome you. talking with you. And um, next time I'm in New York, uh, I'll have to hit, um, you know reach out to you. Maybe we can meet in person. Uh, do that. And the book is Agent Innocent. And uh, make sure you let me know when it comes out, and then uh, we'll have you back. Sounds okay. great. I'd love to. Thank you. Uh, All right. The best. Have a good one. Thank you. Happy July 4th to you as well. Hey, you too. You. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, wow. Wasn't that a great, Rich? Wasn't that a great uh, guest? Incredible. Very yeah. intelligent. Sound terrific. And mm. uh, very, very talented. Well, I, I just want to say, you know, I, I didn't want to cut it short, but, you know, July 4th is around the corner, next Wednesday, right, Rich? Next Wednesday is July 4th. That's you know, we forget July 4th is not about hamburgers and hot dogs, although it probably is, and beer, you know, but it's an important day. We celebrate our independence from Great Britain, July 4th, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's what it's all about, folks, all right? Let's make America great again. I love it, Luke. Okay. And Don. Uh, happy July 4th, everyone out there. This is Lou Talano with Richie Ornstein tonight. Thank you, you know, for having me. And I'll catch you later.